thank you guys all so much for being here today. Welcome to episode number 10 of Means of Creation, a show where we are interviewing founders and creators in the passion economy. And today we have a special guest, Blake Robbins, who is our first guest who is not a founder and not you know, a full-time creator, but he's a very thoughtful investor at Ludlow Ventures in Detroit, Michigan. He's also one of the most thoughtful voices today in tech when it comes to content creators, the future of media, and anything that touches gaming, esports, YouTube, David Dobrik, etc. And I'm really excited to chat with him today because he's also a member of our newsletter writers collective, Type House. He writes his newsletter at blake.substack.com. And beyond that, he's just an incredibly kind and caring person. So welcome, Blake, to our show today. Thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you. I'm I'm excited to be here. I think we're going to have a fun conversation. Yeah. And also is the fun fact, Blake and I go way back. Oh, to Michigan. Yes. You guys were classmates. It's true. It's true. I Blake, Blake was my intern when I worked at General Assembly building Dash and he was like the best ever. And I just knew he was like way overqualified to be doing the work that Blake was doing for me. And, and, very quickly, Blake surpassed me. So it's it's been it's been awesome to see your your career since then. I, I was I mean that was a fun internship. Awesome. Well, I'm I'm so glad that this is a reunion of sorts, and it tees us up well for the first question that I wanted to ask Blake. You know, it's rather unconventional to meet a venture investor who is living in Detroit in the Midwest. I'm curious on how you wound up there and what do coastal investors not understand about living and investing in the Midwest? Yeah, I mean, I think that's like the most common question that I probably get always. And really it's like, I don't, I don't really know the alternative. Like I was born and raised in, in, in Michigan. And so for me, this is like my normal. And in and, and a lot of ways, I like grew up on the internet. I, I've always spent all of my time like on YouTube and uh, Twitter and just social media in general, like growing up. And so I, this is very natural for me. I think the advantage is like, I mean, there's tons of obvious disadvantages, right? Like the, the obvious ones are like, are, I'm not in person as much with these people. And the serendipity of maybe like going into a coffee shop and meeting an amazing founder isn't there. But I think like the real advantages for me and like what plays into the strengths, I guess, for me as a human is that I love just putting my head down and like being super focused. Like I love just like writing and reading and, and like like blocking off times to just do my own things. There's an overwhelming sense of like FOMO when I'm in a major city where I feel like I need to be doing X, Y, and Z constantly. Whereas I think for me, like I live in the suburbs of Detroit and I'm just like, I put my head down. None of my friends in, in Michigan even know what VCA is like. And so in, in that way, I, I just feel very like grounded and, and, and in some ways, hopefully like more connected with reality. But like actual oper operationally, like most founders just assume that we're on the, like the opposite side of the coast. Like, you know, like if you talk to a founder on, on the West coast, like the first time we talk <laughs> yeah. to them, they're like, oh, you're just on the East coast. And, and, and for us, we're just like, actually, we're just in the middle, you know, like it, it actually doesn't make that big of a difference. And so for us, it, it, it's, we just hop on tons of Zooms. We do phone calls. We were weirdly like adjusted to this, like before COVID where almost all of our investments were made over Zoom and phone calls like before this for like the past nine years or so. I think like just, just for me, like observing your career, like we said, we've worked together like a long time ago, back when you were like just graduating from college and stuff or you're still in college when we worked together. But like, 
yeah. Twitter is the engine for serendipity, right? Where if you just like thoughtfully engage with people, like it stands out and it compounds over time is the cool thing. When someone says something about something that they happen to know about and doing research or like experiencing things that are whatever, like diving deep into places. And that's like what you did with, you, you know, esports and, and all, all internet culture and all the things that, that are fascinating to you just as a human, it's like, those are businesses too, you know? And like, you can, you can thoughtfully engage and it, and it works. But yeah, it's been amazing to see yeah. the, the way that you I use Twitter. Investors, investors all have different sourcing motions depending on what their strengths and circumstances are. And I think if you're not in San Francisco, perhaps you can't go to all the happy hours and the mixers and the events, but Twitter exists and blogging exists. And those are fine ways to source as well for introverts. Yeah, I, I think like Twitter for me is actually, I, I always describe it as like my town square, you know, it's just like I go on and I'm just like waving to people <laughs> like, you know, that I, I exist. And that's why I'm like, I'm a huge believer in like learning in public and just being super public with my thoughts is like, it's just hopefully a way to signal that I'm digging in certain areas or these are certain spaces that I'm spending time in. And I mean, like Alex Danko and, and like wrote a piece recently about like homesteading on Twitter. And I think like there's a ton of truth to that of just like signaling that you've you've like spent time in those areas and hopefully you get to meet really interesting people through that and and so far that's been my like story of twitter is just i've met some amazing people by just simply like writing about things you've put out some really amazing content with regards to content creators and the creator economy and the future of media i'm curious if you could tell us about how you became interested in the creator economy in the first place I, I think for me, it's, I've always been interested in, in the creator economy, mainly out of like personal interest more than anything else. Like I, I grew up on the internet and I, I've always been a huge gamer. And so uh, I feel like gaming was one of those areas of, of like content creation that sort of picked up before other areas like beauty and gaming were probably like very early on with that. And so I just, when I was in high school, I used to just watch like tons of YouTubers. It was like, you know, like the first wave of, of like gaming influencers and YouTubers at the time. And I just remember like when I got into venture, people were like talking about it still, like they weren't really big people. And they're like, there's still so much room to grow, all this stuff. And I was just like, this is bizarre because to me, like these people were huge stars. Like I, I just viewed them in the same way that we talk about like right now where like kids are growing up and want to be YouTubers or pro gamers or whatever. Like that was already me. Like I, I was like the first generation of that. Like where uh, I just remember seeing these people like driving, I don't know, they weren't driving Lamborghinis at that point, but they were definitely living in nice houses and as like young kids. And I was like, this is amazing. Like, I, I like, how are they doing this? And so I was just always obsessed like from that angle of just like what is actually going on uh the dynamic around that it always felt really clear to me that the influence that these people have over their audience is actually just far greater than like a traditional celebrity uh and and obviously that's just continued to compound over time and and i think we're like within the creator space I definitely spend more of my time within like the more like the bigger influencer space. Like that's just, I'm always interested in how those people are running their businesses. But I, I overall, like in the past year or two, it's just been like, oh, wow, there's actually so many different angles of this. And I, I think this like middle class that will hopefully rise here is just super, super interesting. Yeah, I'd love to hear about as you talk to other investors and in the broader ecosystem about creators and investing in creators, what is a common thing that you think other people don't understand well about the creator economy? 
I think it's still super early. Like we're, we're still in the first inning and, and there's a lot that's going to mature and we're going to figure out a lot of just how the dynamics of this business play. But I think the, the biggest thing for me is that there's tons of people that think like, okay, YouTube and Twitch have won or like, you know, whatever X, Y, and Z platform that you want to say have won this space. And I actually think that right now those there's like a real opportunity to go after those major platforms because they have just focused so much on purely on like, hey, you're you're going to rely on AdSense from us, and 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 that's how this business is going to operate. I think like we've seen with OnlyFans and I don't know other other platforms like Substack and and these things where it's like, let us just give you tools to help create uh, and monetize your business better is sort of like the the biggest thing that I'm interested in. And and I think most creators, like they, they're sort of going after like two major like things. It's like one is they want to make as much money as possible. And then two, they, they want to have as big a fan base as possible. And like, that's like the dynamic that I think every single platform or product that's being built in this space has to navigate. And like, if you're not attacking one of those directly, it's it's a really hard spot to be building in this space. I would actually decompose the first point of that creator desire of, of wanting to grow their fan base as much as possible. I would actually decompose that into creating something and having that creation reach as many people as possible. So mm-hmm. tools that help people to create something, I think is another space to play. I, I was just going to say that I, I think the tools themselves, like there there's sort of, two angles there's the big platforms who are bringing eyeballs and and actually like you know driving audience for sure can charge a higher premium but there is going to be this other side of like if you already have an audience and you can hopefully port that audience to wherever there is going to be this new type of thing that emerges or platforms that emerges that gives the power to those people taking way less fees and they're like you just bring your audience with you Uh, and i think that's just a super interesting area that i'm trying to pay attention to Absolutely. I think there's always a dynamic where the top tier creators are susceptible to being pulled off by another platform that doesn't extract as much of the economics once they have built up their audience already. I also want to ask you about OnlyFans. Recently, you wrote about OnlyFans in one of your newsletters, mentioning that traditionally it's been associated with NSFW content. However, quote, I strongly believe that it has the potential to emerge as a popular platform for content creators to earn subscription revenue for all types of gated content. That's a super interesting point. I, I want to unpack that a little bit more and hear you describe it. I feel like OnlyFans is kind of the third rail of venture investing and, and no one really wants to talk about it. And tell us more about your thinking about the platform and how it could potentially move into the mainstream or, or do you think that another platform is going to adapt the model and apply it to more mainstream content? Yeah, I, I think the biggest question is just like, does OnlyFans actually just have a stain on it in some ways where it's like people are expecting certain content when they go to OnlyFans? That's like the dynamic that they're going to have to just, you know, from a product standpoint, navigate moving forward. But I think the core mechanic of paying for gated content in a very simple and like socially acceptable way is is like very interesting. And I think that there's going to be someone and whether that's OnlyFans or another platform that emerges that helps, like the reason why OnlyFans really works in in my opinion 
is they targeted a group of creators that is like forever just sort of starved within like the universe of, of like money, like making money on the internet. Like they aren't making money on the existing platforms. And so it's like, okay, let us figure out a way to just directly monetize. And I think that there's actually just a growing use case of that within the broader like YouTube and creator world where it's like, maybe their videos just don't monetize super well on, on YouTube, or maybe they can't get brand deals because they only have a thousand fans or a hundred fans. And so like, it's not hard to believe that there is going to be a platform for whatever reason, their fans are really engaged or really bought into them. Later, like only fans is, is just an access to like creative content. And so like, it, it, I think we're going to see more and more of that. And OnlyFans in some ways has helped pave the way of just normalizing that and making it like acceptable to start charging your fans for content. We, we typically actually see a ton of innovation around the edges of that stuff where like in gambling and all of that, there's for sure tons of innovations and product mechanisms that get moved into like the broader ecosystem over time. We, we've seen Logan Paul recently release his own membership products. And there's a big YouTube channel called Nelk Boys, which is uh, like all of their content is basically like they can't monetize or get brand deals for. And they've, they've done a direct consumer subscription deal on their own website. Both of those are $20 a month too, like, which is pretty insane. And, and, they're supposedly converting at really high rates, like relative to their, their fan base. Yeah, that's fascinating. And I think the whole, like, is there a stain they can't get rid of where it's too associated with a certain type of content? I think OnlyFans is a more extreme example than this, but it's worth remembering that when Snapchat first came out, it had a reputation as being an app for sexting. Like that's like, that's what all the news stories were. There's a new app that kids are using to send disappearing photos of each other naked. And like, obviously Snapchat is not known for that now. And like perceptions can change over time, you know? Yeah, hundred percent. And, and I think for, for like OnlyFans, they've started to dabble in this, right? Like they've, they've gotten some creators that aren't posting, not say for work content on there. And I think over time, it will be interesting if they can get, like imagine a world where you get like David Dobrik or someone really big that like maybe the, the joke is like that they David. yeah <laughs> that would that would work super well if he started an OnlyFans yeah, yeah I I mean yeah. people would people would like joke with him and assume that yeah. like there was not safe for work content but then once they actually subscribed and they're like oh wow this is actually just a great blog or like oh yeah. this is just literally his way of monetizing his videos that perception gets changed over time and OnlyFans is super cash rich right now. I have to imagine they're thinking about going and, and, and like acquiring or paying uh, people like they paid, I'm assuming they paid Cardi B to set up her OnlyFans. And, and so I think we'll, we'll start to see more of that. Yeah, it's, it's definitely super, super interesting. I think the question of whether or not they can move into the mainstream successfully, I think it'll also be a function of consumer receptivity to it and whether they are willing to pay for premium content, given that a lot of these creators also release free content elsewhere. I think that's the contrast with a lot of this NSFW stuff. It's stuff that you probably can't access on other platforms. Patreon will kick you off of the platform, YouTube, Instagram as well. But for stuff that is just more content from a creator that you already follow, I think the question is a little less clear to me of how many users are willing to pay for that kind of content. Totally. Koi asked a question here that I think might be worth just like mentioning in line, which is what is OnlyFans mode or defensibility? And I think really the same question applies to Patreon and Substack and any other platform that's not so much driving discovery for creators. It's not the place where you grow your audience or the place where you monetize your audience. 
it seems like there's, there's obviously lock in around like who's processing the payments and do you have the payment relationship, but like, you know, a Substack, it's your Stripe account. You can take your Stripe account somewhere else if you are willing to build an integration or maybe some other platform could build an integration. Maybe Substack will change that. Patreon, you're more locked in. Other platforms, maybe you're more locked in. How does that become indefensible over time? Like that you can't export your, that's just the new competitive frontier is like, I'm very curious your thoughts on defensibility of these platforms. I think it's it's a really good question. For better or worse, OnlyFans being associated with the type of content that's on there and, and Substack, right? Like, you know, it's a newsletter, right? Like if, if Substack moves into other things, that might change over time too. And that might be a, a difficult thing for them to nav- like navigate from a public perception. But the, the idea is like, hopefully people are just getting used to the fact that they're on OnlyFans. Like, I think it's really interesting. There, there's probably an opportunity for a brand to emerge here, a platform to emerge here that's like invite only. And it's like, you have to be vetted. And, and then maybe over time, it's like, okay, just being here, it, it's a really like a good signal that you were like invited onto the platform. Like what if we can actually start to post content on there? I think it's hard to say what the actual mode is over time. Like I, I especially when you're not driving actual like audience, the demand side of, of, OnlyFans and Patreon and, and Substack is actually like probably pretty low. And so if they're charging for like a premium that they are bringing you an audience, that's where like the real opportunity arises. Like they, they need to basically decide whether they are like the aggregator platform, you know, like the, like the famous Ben Thompson piece. And I think right now all of them are actually sort of stuck in this middle phase because they would love to charge like they are an aggregator but I don't think any of them are actually meaningfully driving uh, the demand side of it. And so if they don't shift their strategies in some ways, there's definitely going to be opportunities for, for like the pure white label platforms or the Shopify type plays that, that people will always talk about in the space to, to emerge here. There, there's a follow-up question in the chat as well that we can slot into this line of thinking around OnlyFans creators having a lot of churn and very few of their subscribers renewing to an OnlyFans creator. What are your thoughts on churn, given that consumers are also subscribing to other premium content as well? I think it's an interesting question, and I, I haven't taken a look under the hood of OnlyFans and dug into the data or anything, but what I've heard is that this type of content does tend to have higher churn than other categories. It speaks to the aspect of perhaps the OnlyFans creator being more commoditized and people subscribing on a whim, but really viewing the creators as kind of interchangeable and wanting to get a large variety of different content versus just being loyal to a single person, which isn't the same dynamic at play in music or writing or other sort of creative industries. Curious if you have any thoughts there. Yeah, I I mean, obviously the intent for why someone's probably subscribing to someone on OnlyFans is super clear. And if they're like, eh, like then they're just going to move on. I think where this gets interesting, like longer term is probably looking at something like Twitch, where uh, Twitch has just done a really good job of like gamifying the actual subscription, you know, where like you're getting badges, you're getting custom emotes, like something to stake or prove that you were there early, I think is just like the next phase of this. And, and Twitch, I think is largely just misunderstood within tech. Like I think most people mm. aren't paying attention to like Twitch subscriptions and how powerful chat and, and the badges themselves and emotes themselves are. And so I think that's where this is, is hopefully heading in, in the same way that when, I don't know, you, you find an early, like a musician early on, you want to like signal that you were an early fan of that person. I think there is going to be a lot built around like proving that you were 
uh, an early supporter of certain creators and being able to actually signal that in some way, like, I don't know, maybe on Substack one day, they'll add to the comments, like a badge that shows you've been subscribed to, to everything for, I don't know, like six months. And it's like, okay, cool. Like that automatically gives you some type of status within that community. Uh, yeah. And hopefully like, like gives you a chance to, to get responses and more engagement as well. What are some of the things that are like happening and working on Twitch that aren't commonly understood in tech and like maybe that Substack should learn from or other platforms should learn from? Yeah, I mean, I think like emotes, if you're familiar with emotes on, on Twitch at all, like it's super looked of like, you're actually just paying, I don't know, let's just use Ninja as an example. Like you're paying Ninja $5 a month to get access to, get one, get your name read, which like means something. Two is getting like access to the chat sometimes they make the chat only available to subscribers like if you're a big enough streamer you can make it so only paid members can subscribe then like three i, I think it's emotes is it which is super interesting where you get access to essentially emojis that represent and were designed by ninja like i mean designed by someone on ninja's design right. team but like uh they, they like they, creative directed they, they represent ninja uh, yeah yeah exactly exactly and and, and then from there, those emotes are actually able to be used throughout the entire Twitch platform, right? So like it, you can be in someone else's like Twitch chat and you can just be spamming ninjas like emojis. <laughs> There's like some weird like, like signal within that where, I don't know, a, a good example is like if you're watching a League of Legends pro game and like if you're a fan of a specific player and that player does well, like maybe you just start spamming their, their emotes and like immediately, I like at least for me, when I see that in chat, I'm like, oh, they're actually like a real fan. <laughs> like, like they're not just hopping on the bandwagon and like saying they're like, they're a fan of this person. Like they Cost clearly have already supported this person. Yeah. And, and, and now they're just showing to everyone in chat. And so I think there's like my view of, of like the future of consumer and this stuff, especially around subscriptions and is being able to like carry these badges like throughout like the internet you know like showing that you're you've been a subscriber to i don't know the ringer for 10 years or something like i think will be really cool to to show or like actually showing that you've watched like or listened to a hundred joe rogan podcasts like i think the gamification of all of that or like proving that you've read everything from the everything bundle i think is like those are very cool things to show and i, I think that is hopefully will we'll translate into even more engagement and people will just like it just signals a lot of like things to everyone within the community. Totally. The cross community sort of like network effect thing is so powerful. I feel like it's definitely, it's, it's one of the key things that these platforms need if we're talking about defensibility of like, you can imagine a future for OnlyFans or Substack where I can go in and talk in some other community. And then I have sort of like credit for all the stuff I've consumed or the money I paid or when I became a supporter or whatever. It's like, valuable that's useful information to know yeah i've been reading ben thompson since he launched is very different from like i found out about ben thompson three months ago you know yeah and and, and actually the other interesting thing about amazon and and twitch is that i i forget like maybe a year and a half ago two years ago amazon actually rolled in uh twitch subscriptions into uh their amazon prime bundle so you get one free subscription per month and like most people actually just don't ever like talk about it but what that means is with your Amazon Prime membership, you're now given the opportunity to give, like you basically just have this free thing on your account, even if you have Amazon Prime and you're not using it. Like you still have this Twitch Prime thing that they call and you can just give that to a creator every single month on Twitch. 
they I don't know what that exact split is. Let's say like Twitch takes 30% or 40%, but they're just basically floating to creators uh, like the 250 or $3 of that $5 subscription. And if you think about like, maybe there's a world where Amazon just like buys Substack one day and they're like, hey, you know what? You can actually just like choose a random person every month that you subscribe to uh, with your Amazon Prime bundle. And, and that gets like very, very cool. And, and, and I have to imagine there's going to be this larger bundling offering in the future. Totally. I definitely, I definitely think Amazon's the best acquirer for Substack as a side note, because the integration with Kindle would be fantastic and Goodreads is kind of a pile of trash, but like yeah. theoretically there would be some value there. And I don't know. It's definitely Amazon, I think. <laughs> anyway, sorry. And with yeah, Twitch, I, I agree. Yeah. The, the note about being able to showcase your fandom publicly and having other people acknowledge how big of a fan you are, it is reminiscent of a lot of the stuff that I see on TikTok with regards to cults and creators sending their followers off to go do things around the internet or change their profile pictures or I don't know, do some weird action. And it like, unless you're in the know, you don't really understand what they're doing, but then it, it comes through that they're doing this because a creator told them so, and they're part of this movement. And by partaking in these actions, they can really showcase that they are a mega fan of a particular creator. Pretty, pretty cool what's happening on, on TikTok. Yeah. Do you think that there's any interesting startups that you can name that are tackling this element of gamification of fandom and showcasing fan status in a good way beyond Twitch? I think it's still early. Like, I think that there's going to be people that are are hopefully going to nail that. Like, I'm I've an area I've been like super obsessed with recently is I don't know if you guys are familiar with like there, there's a Chrome extension called Better Twitch TV and there's also a Chrome extension called like Reddit Enhancement Suite and like both of those are basically just like products or Chrome extensions that sit on top of, you know, like existing websites and like make the UX changes that the team never would have made themselves. Like it's basically like a way of the community being like, Hey, you're moving too slow. Let us just build it for you and like install this Chrome extension and we'll just, (laughs) we'll just like do it and do more work for you. I've been super obsessed with like, what if you just like bundle all that into one Chrome extension? Like you just basically like, uh, better internet. Okay. Let's just have one yeah, you just like make a better internet Chrome extension and that like sits on top of every website and like maybe you can make like Twitter DMs actually mean something or like you can start that like the reason why I think it's interesting is because then you can really introduce these like badges or trophies that sit across the internet where like, okay, cool. We now have your Reddit account. We have your Twitter page. And like, like for example, on Twitter, like they should have a badge or like you should have a badge or a trophy case that shows like you've had a viral tweet or like you've gotten more than a hundred replies on one tweet. Like the the achievement systems within like games are something that like every single like social company can learn from. And I think we're we're starting to see like I think China's leading the way in this, but they're clearly understanding the gamification of everything is like where social like the end point of social uh is that you just end up like looking like a game and so i'm just super interested in like how do you make these like trophy cases or or achievements especially like signaling across the entire internet and that's why like i think there's probably something cool around this like better internet thesis of what if you just sit and build this layer that sits on top of every site yeah totally is that a request for a startup yeah, I mean, if someone wants to build that, that'd be awesome. I mean, it, the the cool thing is you actually could probably just make that super open source where it's just like, yeah. hey, everyone's just packs on whatever site they want. So yeah, I mean, absolutely. Like, If someone is working on that, definitely let me know. 
The closest thing I can imagine is stylish, which I use to modify CSS of various websites. It's just like pattern match on a domain name and then put whatever CSS you want in there. And like, for, for me, the main reason I use it is because in Google Docs, it's got the page breaks. And even if you do like non-paper mode, it still has a little dotted line that I hate. And so I just remove that with CSS and my life is so much better. Digression, yeah, but I, I, mean, I love the idea exactly. of the across the internet thing. Yeah, it reminds me a little bit of the explosion of different creator community platforms that we're seeing right now. Like I think in recent months slash years, there's been a new wave of private social networking community platforms that have arisen that help creators form their own virtual fan clubs, essentially, and bring their audience together in one place to engage with them, access premium content, to have a greater level of access to the creator. And I think that that is sort of like a step in the direction of what we're talking about, of gamifying fandom and showcasing one's status and affinity towards the creator. But I think it's it's almost contradictory in another way because by definition, if you're a member of this private community, no one else really knows that you're a member of that community and it's gated. Yeah. Yeah. I've always said paid communities, what's in like the context of, you know, getting into that community, like almost feels like an oxymoron. Like, you know, like, it, like I feel like communities are just naturally organic and the best communities will just emerge you know, like with or without being inside that that forum you know like it, you look at a youtuber i don't know like they'll, they'll they probably have a community on a facebook group of just hardcore fans and they have like a community of of like on reddit and then discord and all these different places and so yes there might be one that is like this is the place where i'm gonna be hanging out but I, I think those those communities will exist regardless. And so I, I think those those communities actually work way better in like you, you see it with like there's paid Discord groups for like sneaker reselling, you know, or like where where you actually just need to keep the, the community small. And right. but like if you're trying to grow a massive audience or like a massive community, I think it's a lot harder to, to do paid communities. In the last remaining 20 minutes or so, maybe we can get some audience members to come up here and ask questions and participate in the discussion. And so if you guys um, raise your hands in the Zoom, we can bring you up here. Don't worry if you're not presentable. It's voice only. Yeah. While we're, oh, John, we've got, John, how's it going? You can unmute yourself. Hey, what's up, everyone? Can you hear me? Yes. Yes. Hey, so I'm a newsletter writer myself. I'm focused on this intersection of cities and tech and definitely an audience that I'm thinking a lot about is the investor audience. And I'm just curious if you have any thoughts. Um, I know obviously newsletters and media can be a good source for sourcing deals and companies, but I'm curious what type of content resonates with that audience uh, and what type of kind of insights are you looking for? For me, I, I'm just super interested in like learning something new. Like, like I, I like I, I'm just genuinely curious about a lot of different areas. And so, whenever there's something that's happening that other people aren't paying attention to, like I think those are the most interesting blogs that I read or newsletters that I read, where it's like they're just surfacing things that I just didn't even know existed. And I'm like, whoa, okay, like that's actually really, really interesting. Like, uh, why is no one writing about this? And, and so, like, for you to be that person who's writing and doing a deep dive or saying that this thing exists. I, I, I think it's just, that's, those are my favorite things to read personally. I think everyone broadly likes to read new things rather than like the same exact, like here's my take on why Uber is going to be a big company or not a big company. Or here's my take on Rome. 
Sorry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> your, your, your take was good though. I, I thought, I thought what you wrote was good. I got one. We have like a little feedback form at the bottom and someone said it's a pretty generic take. And I was like, kind of fair but like it's just a network effect thing but i did 60 percent of readers who filled out the survey said it was amazing so my ego is intact that's good yeah i think i i love it when companies write memos rather than pitch decks like a prose memo with a beginning a middle and an end unpacking an idea in detail i think is always really impressive if it's very thought and teaches me something new. I'm always wowed by that. I think memos just allow for more depth of thinking and information density than PowerPoint presentations can. Yeah. Ayush, how's it going? Hi, guys. So I just wanted to ask that, you know, I'm building a platform and currently we are uh, onboarding, we are focused towards onboarding the smaller creators. But actually, I feel that most of the smaller creators fear uh, fear a lot of change because they have a very low fan following of around like I guess 200 to 300 follower count, and they actually tend to lose 50 of them. So how do we onboard them? Uh, there's there's a really good talk from Alex Zhu with Josh Hellman that that he did uh, a couple of years ago. And Alex Zhu is basically like the founder of, of Musically. I, I mean, he is the founder of Musically, and then was running TikTok and. He talked a lot about like why these smaller following people are the ones to to target, and for him, and and the reason why it works for TikTok is that they had uh, sort of this like massive top of funnel, or like they had the all eyes on on the for you page, and and he talks about it as like basically how do you convince uh, creators to like immigrate from one country to another is like the wording that he uses. And he's like, you do that by basically signaling that someone can get like wealthy on this other platform. And then like, they'll tell their friends. And so like in, in a weird way, he sort of admitted that they like chose or like gave people more exposure on the, on the for you page to like then signal and go back to everyone else of like, why is Charlie D'Amelio like now have 90 million followers? <laughs> like, and like you see these people with huge numbers and it's like, yeah, because they were just shown way more than everyone else. And so I, I just think that dynamic, like, I don't know a ton of context around what, what you're specifically building, but assuming that you are like, you do have some type of demand gen side and you are bringing some fans to the platform, like maybe handpicking a couple of those to, to really promote and help them grow their audience like would be would be something worth investing in basically telling them uh, that they have the future in their air views yeah and i think more more generally like it's about cost and benefit and it sounds like people are worried about the cost and unclear on the benefit so maybe the benefit is more exposure maybe there's some other thing you can pitch but like it sounds like there's always a cost like i mean literally there's a price probably for, for a lot of products that cost money to use. So like, this is just one of the costs of like new things. And it's an important, like, you know, network effect that other companies have that's really hard to compete with, but there's, there's gotta be some sort of like wedge around that. Like another, another one is like making content exportable. So like TikTok, you can export the videos and, and share them in other platforms natively. So I don't know if there's like a similar thing that makes sense in your context, but it's kind of like the come for the tool stay for the network strategy that, that propelled Instagram in the early days where people just wanted to be able to use the filter rather than caring about who followed them or whatever is another just general line of thinking for that. Should we do another question? Let's do it. Christopher, how's it going? So I'd, I'd love to get all y'all's thoughts about why, why do you think kind of on the lines of what you guys were, th- were talking about uh, previously, why do you think that there hasn't been a platform to kind of emerge around, you know, uh, 
benefiting the creator economy and kind of uh, dominating that space a little bit. And I mean, I have my own thoughts being that, you know, there, there just haven't been enough startups in that space that have been like founded by people who understand the the business and, and the, the ideals that kind of surround it. And I think that, you know, a lot of the maybe bigger players in the space being you know, YouTube and Patreon, and even though Patreon's kind of built around uh, monetizing for creators, but you know, there still hasn't been, like you guys had said, one uh, company that's been successful enough to dominate the space. And, and I think that part of that comes from, you know, not, they're not being founders that understand that yet. And I think a lot are, are, are growing in that arena now, but why do you guys think that, you know, someone like Patreon that was, you know, a relatively recent startup that was built around the idea of monetizing for creators and paying directly so people could support smaller musicians when it first started. So why do you think that someone like Patreon hasn't uh, dominated that space or why someone like OnlyFans hasn't either? Yeah. I, I mean, it depends on your definition of, of like dominating the space for sure. Cause like, I mean, Patreon and OnlyFans are definitely household names within the creator space. And, and I mean, I think Patreon just raised like a billion dollar valuation. So like they're definitely uh, big names and they clearly have some size of success. I think what you're probably referring to is like, how do you, you know, build the next YouTube or something like that. I think that is, uh, it has to, it's like, I think we're at a point right now what's in the creator space, at least referring to content creators like on YouTube or Twitch specifically, where they might like, we're in this phase where they've, they've made a lot of money from the platforms. People have very clear understanding of how they're making money from those platforms. But I think they're like, we're getting to this next phase where they're finally realizing like, okay, how do we like take it to the next level? I think most creators up until this point like don't realize they're running businesses like and and i think we're starting to enter this next phase of like oh wow i'm actually like really under monetized relative to <laughs> what i'm doing like i'm i'm bringing 10 million views to this platform and they're only paying me x and it's like okay well what can happen when when you start to invest in yourself and build the tools for yourself but there's still tons of people that are super happy just making direct money from youtube adsense as well and so or like from these platforms directly so it it's going to take a certain level of creator or like a, a creator that is also a founder. And, and then there's also going to be like the platforms that really understand the needs of, of these creators. Yeah, I would push back against the characterization that there hasn't been any major companies in the creator space. I think there's many. I think all of the large social networking platforms of the last decade are creator companies. They're places where people are creating content for the con consumption of an audience. And even just in the last 18 months, TikTok went from having basically no relevancy in the US to getting a billion, I think, I, I think a billion monthly active users spending like an hour or two a day on the platform, which crazy, a crazy level of growth. So there are I mean, there are major creator companies out there. It's just that they don't all represent a source of income for a lot of their creators. But I think that's coming as well. Yeah, there's a question in the chat, Bryant. I don't think he can talk in audio, but I think it's really interesting. He wants to hear uh, Blake do a postmortem on Mixer. What went wrong strategically? I think Mixer and like just basically believe that the power is with the creators rather than the actual platforms themselves. And I think Twitch has very clearly like Twitch's product is designed to, you know, like in a weird way to, to promote like just people. And so if you go into a game on Twitch right now and you just click league of legends, they're all the valid, like, like the top five streamers on Twitch are going to accrue all the views. And what ended up happening in, in, in Twitch's case or in, in Mixer's case is like, yes, Ninja left and Trout left, 
but the people were still going to Twitch by default, and they would just click on the game, and and it just turns out they like made the next Ninja and, and Shroud, and like you saw Tim the Tatman and Nick Merckx and Courage, and these people really start to blow up. I think like it was just they were trying to apply a strategy that I think just doesn't really work to go against Twitch. Like whereas if you look at how YouTube has approached it, like YouTube YouTube is just funny to me because YouTube continues to win. Like while everyone is is focused on live, like YouTube is still absolutely crushing on the VOD side. And like everyone is just completely like, man, we're not even gonna try and compete there. Yeah. But that is by far like more interesting. Like that's where all the AdSense is coming from. Like that's where most people are actually watching. Like you get what 10,000 viewers live, but you're going to get millions of views on that, that playback. And I get like why there's, there's values and differences between those. But like, if, if you were to actually compete, which YouTube is competing with Twitch, like they're just basically saying like, Hey, stream on here live. And then we'll actually just convert that into a video for you. Like the next phase of this is like YouTube actually just building like, a smart editor where it's like, cool, we'll, we'll cut down your six hour stream into the highlights of 10 minutes and we'll get, 90% there in terms of like it actually being the highlights and then maybe you'll do the last 10 minutes but that's where I think it starts to get way more interesting rather than trying to compete at like uh, Twitch's own game of, of leaning in directly on, on live streaming. I, I completely agree with Blake there. I tweeted about this a couple of days ago. I mentioned that I think the wrong strategy to take for a new network is just to try and pick off the top creators from an existing network. Like users are there for the whole vibe and the community and the network, not just to watch a particular person's content. I think that that strategy works if it's not a network and you're trying to bootstrap like a new blogging platform by targeting top writers, in which case people were following a specific writer before, they'll continue to follow them to wherever they go. But for social networks, people are often not there just for a handful of creators. I, I think the interesting question is just like, does, if Ninja left and launched his own site as a standalone and it was ninja.tv, like that probably would have been considered a massive success, right? Like, I think it's just the fact that he, he went to another platform and that platform wasn't able to really, I mean, get the network effects. But like the fact that Ninja was still pulling 10 to 15,000 viewers on Mixer does speak to how powerful his brand was. And like, if he was just like, hey, I'm going to offer my own like direct to fan uh, subscription service and this is me live and you can get access to that. Like he, it would have been a very, very interesting business. But again, it's just a, a different dynamic than, than what actually happened. Totally. He could pull like a Sam Harris where Sam Harris's podcast, part of it is free and part of it is paid. And Sam Harris has an app and all this other stuff. And it's like, but you're still attached to the platform where you're getting your top of funnel. Should we take uh, one last question? Yeah. Paul. Hi, Paul. So I was just going to ask, ask about the fees of doing that on mobile and how does it affect the business model? Because the, the app stores are kind of controlling what kind of content can go there. And then the 30% fees I was wondering how are other platforms doing that? And if there's a way around it or if there's, how, how does it work? Yeah. I mean, it, it's a, it's a good question. I mean, it's still, you know, obviously we've seen with Spotify and audible and we've seen like the bigger players step in here. Like I, I, I'm not sure, but I believe like you can't actually subscribe to people on mobile for, for Twitch. Like I believe you have to actually like type out a command in chat and then like you get sent the link, <laughs> like, you know, I like can, and you just do that like through the browser. That is, I think basically the, the, the hack around this right now and, and, we'll hopefully see 
some, I mean, <laughs> we'll see what happens with this Epic lawsuit and how this plays out very clearly. Fingers but, crossed. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we will see how it all plays out and hopefully it nets in the favor of, of like an Epic and the platforms themselves. And, and we'll see, yeah, it'd be an easier transition to actually get these people to subscribe to you on mobile. Thanks. Awesome. Well, I know that there's a few more questions that we didn't have time to get to, but I think all of our DMs are open and you can reach Blake at his newsletter, blake.substack.com. Just follow me on Twitter if you're interested uh, at BlakeIR and my DMs are always open. So feel free to message whenever. Blake's Twitter is highly recommended Yes, as a follow. High praise, Uh, high praise. Highly recommended. (laughs) Um, but before we go, we have like a super quick announcement and then we can stick around to maybe like answer questions if people want, but I also don't want to like hog it or whatever. So let me switch my video to my mm-hmm camera, which mm-hmm is like a fun new product where I have like a, the, the like fancy, it doesn't, it doesn't work quite as well as I would hope in terms of like the AI for detecting me versus the background, but whatever. So we're launching a new newsletter. It's an exciting thing. We've, we've been thinking about like what what we can do to provide more value for the sort of like passion economy community. And it is a weekly news roundup on the passion economy with context analysis. So every week, just like, what is going on? What does it mean? This is the place where you can go. Lee, do you have any, any, any words or thoughts on, on our new newsletter endeavor together? Yeah, I'm really excited to work on this because I'm a member of so many communities where we are constantly sharing news links, articles, things that we read and discussing it amongst ourselves. And we just felt like, it deserved its own home on the internet and it deserved to be showcased for anyone who feels like they can benefit from this. And so we're really excited to dissect the happenings in the entire ecosystem and talk about things related to OnlyFans or what's going on with TikTok or new startups that are announcing and just really do a cool weekly roundup of all the happenings in the passion economy. Yeah. So we won't keep you too much longer, but you can subscribe at meansofcreation.substack.com. This is going to be for paying subscribers only of the everything bundle. So you get everything else that we do. Thanks. Okay. Thank you so much, guys. Have a great weekend. See you guys here next week. Bye.